You are now in tune with the Talking Reggae podcast. As always, I am Jay of Street Level Uprising. I have some very special guests. Now, Khalil and Agar do what I would consider the best podcast in reggae. I love it. It's it's as informative as it gets. Uh, they have great guests. And also, um, podcasts isn't all they do. And we're going to get into everything that Khalil and Agar do. Uh, but you got to check out the Reggae Lover podcast. And we're going to talk all about it tonight. So welcome and thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. Good. Thanks, Phil. Thank you for thank having you. us. Yeah, appreciate no, it. Yeah, no, wor- no worries. I um, I love your show. I, I love I love the topics. I love the guests. I love how informative it is, and I do believe it's it's the best reggae podcast there is. Where I like to start with all of my guests is, what what's your first memory of reggae? Like like being young. What was your first memory of when reggae first came into your life and how it made you feel? Yeah, for me. Um, I would say uh, just the radio in New York, you know, um, I grew up in Brooklyn, so driving around, um, my family's from Guyana, so, you know, we came to Brooklyn when I was about five, so driving around, there was a few different stations, you know, we had uh, WLIB, um, and at some point, KISS FM, you know, Red Alert would have a, a, a reggae set he would usually play each week, and, you know, WBLS would have some stuff, and then, um, just like riding around in Brooklyn, you know, my van driver when I was around nine, 10, 10 years old, had a sound system in his van. And when I would say van driver, I used to get picked up instead of a school bus in a van, uh, to go to school when my parents couldn't take me. And he, he had some subwoofers in his van. And that's the first time I heard, uh, sound systems, you know, it's like stone love, you know, Afrique and those sound systems. So that, those are my earliest recollections. For me, uh, I, I grew up in, you know, born in Guyana, but at age four, um, between four and age 10, I was living in Kingston, Jamaica with my family there. And um, so, you know, being in Kingston, I can't really pinpoint an exact moment or anything like that, where it's like, oh my God, you know, reggae, because that's just the soundtrack to life. You know what I mean? So the radio there, if I can, I think some of my earliest memories were like, hearing them play positive vibration the bob marley song in the morning on the radio it seemed like i don't know if that was the theme show the theme of the radio show or something but i feel like they played that song every morning (laughs) (laughs) so you know i mean like that's definitely like one of those memories and there's songs like uh junior read one blood that was out you know it's the 80s so those are the tunes that were out then songs like um get flat Every posse get flat. And I was like, you know, a young youth, but I knew what that meant. And you know what I'm saying? It was just kind of like, yeah, you know, you just get flat at a certain time. So you don't, you know, catch, catch one. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, yeah, man, it was was just like, um, also Black Uhuru, you know, was kicking at that time. So those are some of the things I remember, remember. Yeah, right on. It's it's funny when you reach back to those early memories, especially something like that, where it's like, you know, I'm not exactly sure when it started. It's just always been a part of me. And uh, Agard, my parents are from Brooklyn. So shout out to BK. Uh, definitely, every, definitely. I, I haven't been there. Last time I was in, in New York, probably about seven, eight years ago. So it's, it's, it's been too long. It's been a minute. Y'all didn't start your involvement in reggae with the Reggae Lover podcast. podcast. You're veterans in this, right? 
So right. Khalil, I know you've been involved with radio, um, spinning in clubs, done it all over the world, Agard, DJ, producer. So what, what drew you to become creators, to, to be not just, not just listeners, like right. all of us are, but like what, what, what made you say, you know, I want to do this? What got you into that? Um, for me, you know, I, I looked up to my, uh, my cousin, Agar is my cousin, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. He's like <laughs> slightly older than I, we were born in the same year. He was born like a week before me. Um, yeah. But him, you know, being in Brooklyn uh, before I touched down in Brooklyn, and kind of establishing roots there and, you know, kind of knowing the scene in terms of seeking out nightlife and stuff like that from an early age. Uh, you know what I mean? So I kind of looked up to him and also my older brother, their knowledge of the music and dance hall and sound systems. So it was in studying cassettes from dances going on in New York, mostly in Jamaica, you know, from the, the big sound systems out there. Um, you know, cassettes was the way of marketing music and that's the way you stay abreast of what's going on um, around the global sound system world. So we used to study those cassettes and that was kind of like, kind of just those things would just, even if I wasn't listening to my Walkman at the time, those things would play in my mind. Like, you know, I'll be like imagining different rhythms and, you know, if I had, if I was going to do this, I'll do it this way. And you know what I'm saying? Like I had all this stuff going on in my head, though I wasn't doing it physically yet. Um, so when the, you know, the team decided we're going to start a sound, you know, decided to start a sound system called Highlander down in Atlanta. And, you know, we, when you're young, you're just like, you know, you know, F it, let's just do it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> so it just kind of started like, like that. And, and, you know, it was, we were able to get traction like really quickly once we started. And it just kind of went from there, but it was just kind of like, you know, yeah, let's, we could do this. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. For me, um, I guess sound system was the first thing that, you know, caught my heart in a sense, you know, uh, I, I fell in love with reggae, but specifically sound system culture. And at the time I was a teenager in Brooklyn, you know, I mean, even now you could say there's a million sound systems in Brooklyn, but back then what happened was a lot of people around my age in high school started sound systems. So it was always a dream of mine listening to cassettes. I would always imagine being in a dance and talking on the microphone, you know, but I never thought of it as being a reality. I just kind of was, I hung around sounds, you know, there are neighborhood sounds. They would have backyard parties, hooky parties or cutting parties as, as they call them in the rest of the country to where you go into a basement and pretend you're an adult. <laughs> um, yeah. So what happened was, you know, um, Khalil and I and, and his, his older brother, um, we started talking at the time I was in college in Albany and I was like, you know what? I don't like it up here. You know, it's cold. <laughs> There's like so many people, you know, I'm, I'm talking about Albany, New York, you know, it wasn't Albany, Georgia. You know? <laughs> so, you know, it was very cold and I, I wanted to make my way down to Atlanta. They had already been in Atlanta. And so we devised an idea like, Hey, hey let's start saving up money, start buying records so we could start a sound system. And, um, you know, basically what happened was a stream of events happened. First of all, when I, when I went down there, I met a, a promoter 
And somehow, literally, he was like cutting my hair in the barbershop. And I just um, told him like, hey, I'm interested in doing this. And he's like, well, I'm a promoter. And that's how the ball started rolling. And um, I think um, both myself and Khalil's older brother wanted to be on the microphone. And Khalil was like the one who, you know, he was very studious about mixing. So like he, he knew how to mix before any of us. And then, you know, quickly selection came, came about. So, you know, that was the genesis of Highlander and um, basically why we just kept on rolling with it. You know, Um, I was down there for two years and then I I went into the military and I actually was on another sound system while I was in the military in Okinawa. So, you know, and then they kept Highlander going. So it's always been a part of me. And, um, you know, I, I guess I dabble in a lot of different things. But I guess sound system, sound system is like my heart, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's been like the one constant, like everything else that you've dabbled in, sound system has been the one thing just, just keeping you in there. So I know you've done some Definitely. production work too, and I know um, different genres, right? Like hip hop, pop, like whatever. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Do you work with artists directly? Do you produce beats? And like, how, how do you collaborate with, with artists like that? So the the thing with me is that's one of the things I I dabbled in for for a while. You know, I go from thing to thing. And actually, the thing that made me want to do production was actually listening to Major Lazer. You know, because um, I think I've told this story before, like basically, you know, I'm a 90s kid. So a lot of 90s dance hall, that was my vibe. And I felt like at the time when I started picking up on production and a little bit of engineering is around 2007, 2008. And to me, um, the, the music that I found love with had changed and I wasn't really, um, that animated about it until I heard some of the things that major laser was doing it, uh, doing with the, their production. And I started being more interested in like, okay, if they can do that, you know, cause it's kind of like nineties inspired at the time, you know, they had vibes cartel and a few different artists that it was kind of like a throwback, but then a, a bridge to like the electronic dance scene. So that's what got me interested in it. And then I found out that some of our friends, you know, were involved. It was just like, all right, I, I did that until I'll say 2014, 2013, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Straight. I, I'm, I'm an eighties and nineties kid too. So I, like I was listening to a lot of the same stuff. And when I, when I first got into reggae, you know, obviously Bob Marley's a place, everybody knows Bob Marley, but the next thing that came along for me was Steel Pulse. And then that was the biggest thing in my world. It's still the biggest band to me is Steel Pulse. Like Steel Pulse is like, uh, but that getting that 90s vibe, when I started getting that 90s vibe, when you, you start hearing Buju Banton, you start hearing Beanie Man, you start hearing Sizzla and mm-hmm. Capleton, like Anthony, B, like all the cats who started coming out through the 90s, like um, are, are you were saying, uh, Agar, that that was like such a big part of your, did you go through the same thing, Khalil? Was like that 90s, a lot of that 90s dance hall and stuff, was that like a big influence on you too? Yeah, that was, that's absolutely been the biggest influence on me. You know, to your point, outside of the Steel Pulses and, you know, Third World, Black Uhuru, Aswad, and, you know, and the Whalers and stuff like that. Outside of that whole thing, it was like, yeah. Um, you know, you had the '90s gen- dance hall, which is was real, like you know, juggling, you know, Beanie Man and Frisco Kid and Lady Saw and all that stuff, which is real fun. But then 
to around the, the mid to late 90s when that kind of spiritual, you know, reawakening kind of happened when Till Shiloh dropped. So, you know, you have, you know, Garnet Silk passes away. Um, Buju, go, you know, comes out Rasta. Capleton is Rasta now. And then it's like, okay, Anthony B, Luciano, what, you know, these, and then Sizzler comes out and it's just like, oh my God, it's just like, everybody's mind is blown and the dance hall changes to where it used to be like all up-tempo for like super long segments of the dance. Now people are just as excited or even more excited. You're getting bigger forwards from culture tunes in the dance. You know what I'm saying? And it's slow and everybody's just holding that reverence and kind of like, you know, it's almost like prayerful, you know, at different parts of the dance. And it's like, yo, that music was so powerful. Um, you know, Exterminate a Label, um, Digital B, and some of the producers at that time that were redoing all the Studio One rhythms you know, um, and refreshing those rhythms. Um, we have an uncle, um, Uncle Mark, who used to, you know, be with, um, you know, Ross Records, like back in the day, you know, from Sacramento. And he, you know, heard some of our early mixtapes that we were doing. And he would just be like, yeah, man, that's Studio One and that's Studio One and that's Studio One. And I'm just like, like, what? What are you talking about, <laughs> Uncle Mark? You know what I mean? So yeah. that would just like intrigue me even more to go back and really start studying the, the foundation and figuring out the link between what we were listening to then and where, you know, the things originated. Um, so, yeah, that period, you know, we were all like growing out our hair and just you know what I'm saying? Like, that's how a lot of people <laughs> started just going rest. And, you know what I'm saying? Very, very special time. You know what I mean? Like, I, I really, I still can't go around those tunes. Like, I still go back to that segment, you know, when I need a pick-me-up. You know what I mean? I, and I don't think it's ever really been the same since then. Well, it's it's funny because, like, I, and and I don't know if this is because of my age, <laughs> or because it really was like this. But when I think of reggae music, I think of that, that late 60s through the 70s, right, where you had just that golden age, and we could name a million artists that came out then. And then, again, in that 90s, when you had the artists that we're talking about. And then, you know, but those are kind of like the two golden ages that I think of. And again, like, I don't, is it because I'm old? Or, or is it because that really was where it's at? And, I, and I'm not trying to disparage anything that's gone on in the last 20 years. It's just it's harder for me to connect with it than it is that, you know, some of that other stuff. So uh, do you find the same thing? Do you find that, that it's a little bit tougher for you to get into new artists or, or are you pretty much just easy with anything that comes along? Um, it's for me, it's difficult because, um, so Khalil pointed out like the, the cultural stuff, you know, a lot of the, the cultural music and, and rubber the music, for me, I'm, uh, I love that stuff, but I'm more of a juggling kind of guy. You know, I'm more of a up-tempo, you know, hard bass lines and mixing in and out of, of, of bass lines. Um, and the reason why I bring that up is because nowadays it's like the music has changed, you know, and, and that's what I was talking about in the, I guess, the mid early to mid-2000s where bass lines were getting softer, 
Um, some of the rhythms weren't sounding like rhythms anymore. Um, and it seemed like, you know, up, up until like this whole tropical house music came in and, you know, it just seemed like it wasn't connecting with my heart anymore. Cause I'm, I'm very open to music. You know, I listen to all types of music and it's not necessarily that, you know, the new stuff isn't produced well. It's just that it doesn't to me tap into what has been traditionally what I connect to in reggae and, and specifically in dance hall type genres, you know? Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm, I may be more similar to you, Jay, where, you know, maybe I'm just old, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but it's, you know what I mean? Like even for, for, um, for hip hop, I, I was a huge hip hop fan. Like I was a big hip hop head in the nineties as well. You know what I mean? And nowadays, I still yearn for the type of hip hop that's like, oh, they sampled this. How did they think of that? You know what I mean? Because it's taking some like proven funky element from the past and then turning it into something new that, you know what I mean? That gives you that energy. So that's why I appreciate the music, like say, um, you know, that rhythm with chronics and, Jesse Royal and Janine and all of them, you know, the Rootsman rhythm. That was a relic of the Ani Kamozi song from the 80s. I'm like, you don't have to go all the way back to Cox and Dodd and Treasure Isle to, you know, refresh those. But there's great stuff from the 80s. You know what I mean? Maybe mm -hmm. even something from the 90s that you can kind of like, you know, borrow a little inspiration from. And then, you know, take that and combine it with new, fresh sounds, global sounds, whatever it is, and bring it forward. So I think that that's really the essence of the music. You know, I understand the music has to evolve, but still, like, there has to be something in it that kind of ties it to, you know, like, its real essence. Like, that, that should be detectable somewhere in there. And a lot of times with, with, our, with this music, it's, it's that drum and bass, you know what I mean? So I think some of the newer music kind of lacks that. Um, but there are some bright spots. There are some artists who uh, are really talented. But I think one of the big differences is the, the marketing is completely different. Everything is flipped on its head right now you know buju had the upside down album he called it upside down 2020 right because i think him looking at what was going on it seemed like things were upside down you know not just with covid but you know in the music industry because all the music all the creators the the record companies everybody everybody's trying to figure out what to do how are we gonna you know music movies media any type of creatives they're trying to figure out like how are we gonna reach people how are we gonna you know continue to do what we want to do um so i think it's just kind of weird right now uh social media has you know trumped you know maybe radio and then you have all these new different formats so it's just the way that we find new music is different you have to really go and find it and it's different than the way that we used to so it's just really tough you're sifting through all this stuff that, that goes everywhere. And Agard said something interesting and, and you built on that Khalil, which is like the music has changed and, and yeah, it's going to change because that's what things do. Like 
and 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 to some extent we wanted to like like if i was to go and make an album that sounded like it came from 1975 out of kingston it's like well that's been done right and and it's been done better than i could ever do it because the legends did it so it is going to grow it is going to change but sometimes it's how it's growing and changing that might be a turnoff to people and i know like Roots reggae has really taken hold in the U.S. and now that's become something else. Where you got all them California bands that have put their own spin on it, and dance hall in Jamaica has you know trap got into it and hip hop got into it. And now it's become its own thing, and so I think you start sometimes some of those audiences start becoming divided. Like that's not my jam. I'm old school. I'm new school, and it can be tough to kind of bring everything together, right? To to kind of like rope it all in and, and still respect and enjoy as much as you can and try to keep in touch with, with the young generation and what they're digging on, because it doesn't matter what I'm into. Like the young generation is going to come up and do their thing. Yeah. Well, we, we were talking to some other broadcasters over the weekend and they actually pointed out something that was very interesting that I, I thought about for a while after they said it. And they basically it came up down to, you know, the sound system used to be, you know, the the deciding factor of what's cool, what's not cool, kind of guiding the culture, you know, they were kind of the gatekeepers. They're actually the A&Rs, literally, you know, the 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 way how sound uh, sound system developed dub plates was to literally test out music on crowds. So, you know, when that culture kind of took a back seat, you know, and it wasn't as popular it is, as it is, you know, the people tell you the truth, don't know where to go. You know, um, you know, there's a lot of payola in the business now. There's a lot of different things going on that's kind of uh, muddying the waters. And even when you talk about sound system culture, there's a lot of sound systems that, you know, back in the days when they found like an old rhythm, they put it on dub to like new, you know, artists. Sometimes that would come out in 45 and that would reintroduce the music to people. That's how I found out about, you know, music of the sixties and seventies. Cause obviously I wasn't there. So, you know, I would listen to stone love bodyguard, you know, whoever, and they would teach me, okay, this is what came before. And I became a fan of that stuff. So nowadays, you know, that connection, you know, is, is it's, it's waning. It's lost a little bit. Yeah, man. It's just, you know, I'd hate to just sound like I'm bashing stuff, but when, when, you know, when iPods started, what came out and, you know, Napster, when everything went digital, it really changed things. Cause before that, as a DJ, as a selector, you were like, yo, we were the gatekeepers. Like we, yeah. you couldn't touch what we were doing. You know what I'm saying? Like you needed us. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, how much, how many tunes could you carry? You know, how many like regular civilians were walking around with a huge case of CDs and stuff like that? How much music can you really bring with you? Right. You know, but then when it got to, um, you know, people with their digital device and they have their own music and now they're doing, you know, they're showing up at the party and plugging their iPod into the dock. And, you know, it's like DJ started getting phased out from that time. So now, um, to your point, anybody can do this. And you have these algorithms out here. Um, you have people you can pay for to beat the algorithm. You know, so we could put out music that's really crappy and, you know, blast it and get it in front of people's face. 
And, you know, we're like, you know, this is what we're, this is the new thing now. Um, meanwhile, some really talented people are buried underneath the fray, you know? <laughs> so it's just, it's just really different. I, I would just encourage people to, you know, find some good sources, find, uh, you know, the talking reggae, <laughs> find reggae lover podcast, <laughs> reggae you know? lover podcast. That's what you gotta listen. That's, that's what's going on. That's, that's, that's what I can't touch y'all because like, like my, my, I'll say right now, my podcast is nowhere near as good as yours. I started this, I started doing this whole thing, right? I'm an artist. I started doing this whole thing for one reason. And that is, and this again, probably cause I'm getting older. And now, now there's a, there's a gap between me and the next generation. And I was tired of, I can only, I can only speak for America. I'm not from Jamaica. I'm not from the UK, Japan. I can only speak for America. I was tired of this next generation thinking sublime invented everything. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I was tired mm-hmm. of it being like, Oh yeah, I like Bob Marley. And you know, and like it was well, like it went from Bob Marley to sublime to revolution. And it's like, hold up. And it's like, again, it's just a generation gap and I'm not trying to yeah. criticize it. Like do, do you do what you're into? But I was like, man, like we got to help teach the youth about because i would i would gregory isaacs and Barry's hammond and 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 uh wailing souls like all this and everybody's like who who and it's like nah nah we, we can't we can't do that we can't do it. so i started this kind of like as a reggae history thing to try to teach people younger than me here look you gotta you gotta check all this out and then i moved in a few months ago to start interviewing guests and stuff just because i like talking to people i love talking about music and reggae and everything Mm-hmm. It's I wanted to have you on here because I, I want the people who listen to my podcast say, hey, you need to go over and check out reg, the reggae lover podcast because like that's that's as good as it gets. You do it all you do. And, and you started in 2014, right? It was when you, when you first started uh, the podcast. Right. And I tell you, I, I love everything that you do because you cover everything. I mean, everything from like top five lists and stuff like that. You have debates. There was a, a, a kind of grew into like a reggae versus dance hall debate on one of your episodes, which was, was just amazing. But like the top five lovers rock tunes, like who else thought to like nobody else thinks to do that, man. So I love I love how you all how do you come up with what topic you, you're going to do next? Do you plan out way in advance or are you just kind of in the moment? Hey, this is what we're talking about tonight and let's do it. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, um, there are things that we have planned out there are things that we've planned out that we haven't gotten to yet but the relationship um you know between agard and i is like where we would talk on a very regular basis and we would have long conversations some of them would be heated some of them would be debates in some cases we're in agreement and we're just sounding off you know to venting to one another about something so you know the and this had gone on for a long time, many, many, many years. After even I was doing the Reggae Lover podcast where it was the mixed show um, style of the show. Um, and so Agard was, he's, he's my idea guy. You know what I'm saying? He's the guy with <laughs> the fresh ideas all the time. So he started, you know, kicking this idea in my ear. Like, you know, because we, we both, I, you know, started avidly listening to other podcasts and stuff. So, you know, he started kicking the idea, you know, we should, he, he kept inserting that idea, you know, we should talk, we should be a talk show, boom, boom, boom. And then that coincided with my YouTube getting like 
repeated copyright strikes against it and <laughs> you know what I mean? like because i'm mixing everybody's music and putting it out like everywhere so you know what i mean that was kind of problematic in the podcast format so you know that all coincided and we started the talk show version uh, a couple of years ago and um yeah so the topics is very much organic you know we watch what's going on in in the marketplace and you know it's I guess it's not really a struggle to come up with the topics. We just, they just kind of flow It flows. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, there've been a lot of conversations where we're literally on the phone, like uh, we would be driving somewhere and I would call them up at, you know, and I would have something on my mind, maybe a, a something I listened to or something with the music. And we would have these hour long, sometimes two hour long conversations and it was like, you know, this is, this is, this is easy for us. I mean, we do it anyway, you know, let's, let's try to, you know, tape this. And sometimes even after starting the podcast, you know, there'll be a couple of days during the week where it's like, we we're talking about this very fascinating topic and we're like, okay, well, this is the topic for this week. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just, it, it's very natural because, you know, we're so passionate about this stuff. And I hadn't even thought about it. You know, I, I kind of thought that I was a little bit out of it a little bit, you know, because even when I started DJing again, I wasn't DJing a lot of dance hall stuff or reggae events. You know, it was a lot of, you know, mellow type, you know, either hip hop or house or so. It was a lot of different types of events. So only in my leisure, I was listening to reggae. And then we, Khalil and I would talk and it would just be these long conversations. So when we finally decided to have a podcast, it was like, it's, it's easy for us to get an hour. You know, sometimes, you know, you're hearing a very edited down version <laughs> of some of those conversations, you know? Yeah. And also, um, you know, the audience has a way of emailing us, you know, reaching out via social media, you know, I've had people like, Hey, you guys should talk about this. Um, you know, I've had people say, Hey, you need to have me on the show because of the X, Y, Z. And, you know, it's people who are listening to every episode. So they're, they're like right there, kind of like right along the lines of what we are doing and it, and it works, you know? So I, you know, big up to the audience, to the listeners for real. Yeah, it's you definitely are on top of it. I mean, everything you're doing is is very much in the moment. And I keep coming back to the wide variety of of guests, of topics. And you have people on there who talk about stuff like what it's like being an independent artist. You had a you had a husband wife team. That's like, how do you keep this together? Which is always near and dear to my heart, because as an artist, like I've been with my wife now like 20 years and when you're a musician, there's a lot of, I mean, that's not easy. It's not an easy thing to, so that episode was wonderful for somebody like me because I, I keep trying to convince the world that like you can have your family and, and mm -hmm. do what you do. It's just, sometimes you got to move some stuff around. I don't go on tours that last for months. I don't do that. I got kids and, and, and they're first, you know, so no disrespect to anybody who does what, what, what they do, but like, that's how I live. And for somebody like me to have to, hear guests like that in your podcast is like, man, like that's for you to cover so many different things like that is, is just great. You had, um, the influence of reggae on the world was one of your podcasts. And I want to talk about that, uh, because to me, there's nothing like reggae and not, not just the music, not just the fact, the vibe and all that stuff, but that this music came from one place and spread out in the globe, the way 
nothing else ever has, right? There's no, not even just music, there's no food that's ever spread across the world like that. Like, how did you tackle, how did you tackle that one? And how did it not last like 10 hours? (laughs) 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 Oh man, yeah, that's uh, definitely a good question, man. It's, It's difficult to boil that down to, you know, a 30 to 45 minute conversation for sure because you could go on and on, you know, write volumes. But it's really the essence of what we what we're about. It's it's really what I'm about. You know, I feel like obviously reggae is very marginalized despite what you just said. You know, it's put in a box, you know, people assume you listen to reggae, you know, that you you have dreadlocks and you smoke weed. And I'm like, you know, that could be true nothing wrong with that however this is the first world beat music ever for the world you know it started um in the 60s and like you said the uk adopted it you know with all the immigrants you know the migrants to to that um place and then you know skinheads pick it up um you know the non-racist you know before (laughs) all that um you know they form a bond with these jamaican immigrants and they pick it up and run with it um, and it never, you know, really never stopped, you know, there. And then now you have people like Rodigan broadcasting, and now the music is going as far away as, you know, the Soviet bloc, the former Soviet nations who are oppressed peoples, you know, and they are relate, relating to the music. And then you have, you know, Marley and the Whalers who go around just pollinating, you know, they go to Hawaii in 79, they touch Japan in 79. And every, you know, ever since then, the Pacific it just blows up. You know what I mean? Um, and the music has affected, you know, so many movements. Zimbabwe liberated their crediting reggae music. Um, South Africa liberated, you know, Winnie Mandela's, I guess. Because of reggae music, you know, we were able to, to unite and, you know, it really helped us to uplift and overthrow this regime. And, you know, stories like that, on and on and on constantly. And this is not like the fun stuff, right? Like the, like the, <laughs> like the cool stuff, the dancing and the fashion and the culture. You could talk about all that as well. But I'm talking like real, like, humani- like human- humanitarian, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's a, it's a universal thing. Um, you know, now, what's that? Ratatam Sunsplash is like 150,000 people every year for a week long festival. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, so I'm on a ra- I'm ranting. It's not something that you can talk about easily and just, you know, be short winded for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's, it's to me, reggae is, well, for one thing, it's heartbeat music. Like you listen to reggae, it sounds like a human heart beating. And, I, and that's, that's a big, like, we f- can physically connect with reggae music in a way that you can't, like, I can't physically connect with like death metal. Right. Like I like I don't like some people can, I guess, but but uh, it's not for me. And reggae is, is it's spiritual, it's revolution and it has spread to every corner of the globe uh, in, in the way nothing else ever has. Yeah, I mean, I'm so the thing with me is I'm, I'm a big person on feelings, you know, like Khalil 
Like he he's a researcher. I'm not saying you don't feel it. Too, but, you know, he knows like he knows a lot more in detail and in depth than I do about a lot of different things. For me, you know, I just know that like for example, I'll be riding in the car and I'll be listening to something and I'll be with my wife who didn't grow up a, a big reggae fan and I'm like, "Yo, what do you feel when you hear that bassline?" You know what I mean? Like, cause when I hear a certain baseline, it's like an emotional thing for me. You know what I mean? It's like a connection. And I think that's what's connected with so many people across the world and it continues to. And it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we're, we're in America and I'm in Brooklyn. Right. And the thing about New York, it's, it's always, you know, about new things, the new, this, the new, that. Right. So, you know, to, to have like the rest of the world connecting with anything from 1960s up to the present day and, and also claiming it as their own, because every place that reggae touches, you know, there's a, local element to it. And I, I saw that in Japan, you know, you know, um, when I discovered like, oh, wow, like, no, Mighty Crown is not just a big sound system over here. They actually have a record label over there and they have their own stars. They have superstars over there in the reggae industry. Um, so, and you go to places like Guam, Hawaii, all these different places, you know, have their own culture within the culture. So, I mean, it's, it's a very powerful thing. And it's undeniable. Um, I think our, or at least my concern is that, you know, broadly, the industry hasn't connected with, you know, the capitalism side of it, so to speak, you know, and I say that because I want it to live. I think that's a main concern for a lot of people who have it in their hearts. It's like, we want reggae to win monetarily, not because you know, we're all about capitalism, but we want it to survive, you know, and, you know, we don't want it to be, um, you know, a, a slave to other, other influences just for the sake of being new. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, abs absolutely. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. I love what you said there about like everywhere that you find reggae takes on a local flavor. There is a, um, there's a great uh, band in China called Long Shen Dao and they, they play reggae but they also integrate their traditional instruments. So a lot of those traditional uh, Chinese stringed instruments and stuff like that, like that's just a part of their sound. So they've got their, their you know, bass, drums, guitar, keys, but then they also have like a dude who plays all these. Uh, and, and I love that. And, and like I was saying before, like you hear them, them Cali reggae bands, as soon as they start to play, you know where they're from. You could hear a Cali reggae band. Um, my band being based here in the middle of the country, I'm sure you can hear some folk Americana stuff coming in here because that's what's going on here. That's what I'm surrounded by. And I think that's a beautiful thing about reggae. Uh, as long as we all remember to pull it back a little bit and remember these roots, remember where this came from, remember the people who struggled for this music. And, and that's key to me is, is, is respect, is making sure that everybody respects it. And I think most reggae, modern reggae musicians are pretty good at that. I, I really do feel like people, you've got bands like Slightly Stupid that take every chance they get to like bring Don Carlos on the road or something like that, where they're, they're just like, you know, you know always, always paying that respects. Uh, another episode I want to ask you about, you had one about vanity metrics and dance hall, like our vanity metrics on social media, like is this, and it kind of goes with what you said, Khalil, about like, 
like on Spotify now, you, you, you know, you could pay money to Spotify and they're going to move your stuff up like that payola. Vanity mm-hmm. metrics, not quite payola, although you can pay to get some of those likes and stuff, but kind of the same thing, right? Where maybe some of the things that are driving listeners or driving music are maybe not what they could be. So, so talk to me a little bit about vanity metrics and dance hall. Boy. Yo, Agar, you, I am I, am I, hit, am I hitting the wrong ones? <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I mean, I guess for the audience out there, I guess vanity metrics, you know, are basically some indicators of um, popularity, specifically in the social media categories, you know, um, digital streaming platforms and such. And, you know, our issue with um, vanity metrics is, you know, does it, it does, does it really convert into, you know, the type of power or even sales, you know, associated with what would keep artists or the industry going? And the issue is a lot of the new artists, especially out of Jamaica, are, you know, they're, they're, they're quoting YouTube streams and, you know, certain things like that, where all the digital streaming platforms aren't necessarily even in the region. So... It's it's kind of like a I don't want to call it a catch twenty two, but it's a weird situation to where people are getting plays, you know, people are some in some cases are buying plays. However, it doesn't transition into concert sales, you know, you know, pre pre pandemic and post pandemic, you know, I'm, I'm sure um, it doesn't translate into merchandise or any type of licensing or publishing. It's it's literally just something for people to appear like they're doing well, you know, when the real power lies in other things, you know, um, and, you know, us in the podcast game, we know a little something about that, right? I mean, you know, you're not going to get certain things in the industry unless you have a certain size of your audience and the, the value and the quality of your audience. So, you know, we looked at it as a problem, you know, because if people are pointing to these things as landmarks in your career, yet it's not forwarding your career, it's, it's really, you're just spinning your wheels. And that's a concern for us, you know, because like I said before, we want this thing to last. We want to grow. We want companies to respect, you know, artists and and this culture. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I was listening to a, a program they mentioned, um, I'm not sure which single it is, but um, the dance hall star Popcorn, you know, he just got certified gold for one of his songs. Um, and, you know, Buju last year certified gold for his Till Shiloh album, which is, you know, for a lot of people around the world, it's their favorite album of all times or you know yeah. in their top five it's top definitely it's, it's definitely my top five for sure for sure yeah. <laughs> yeah right so you know these are the things it's like we feel like that should not be the case like this should be you know diamond <laughs> you know what i mean like this should be at least multi-platinum or something like that um meanwhile you know you have people talking about oh you know cross this threshold of youtube plays which when you monetize your YouTube, you know, and you compare it to even the other digital streaming services, I think they pay like one of the lowest rates out, you know, to artists. So it's just kind of like, you know, we need to kind of reframe some of where the focus is going. And um, 
you know, we try to not just talk about the problems, so to speak. But sometimes, you know, we can't avoid these things. Sometimes we have to call these things out because I think that's another thing that um, happens in our industry is, you know, people appease. (laughs) Uh, Everyone just, you know, wants to kind of, uh, nobody wants to offend anybody or, you know, like have those fierce, you know, those tough conversations that need to be had, which can help things to improve and rise, you know. Um, everybody's surrounded by groups of yes men and nobody's telling them the real deal. So I think overall that hurts you mm-hmm. um, more than helps. So, yeah, yeah, that, that was one of those topics. <laughs> <laughs> well, on one level, I get it right. Because album sales aren't what they used to be right with streaming and you being able to catch everything on YouTube. Like I, I get that sales are never going to be where they used to be, where they should be for artists. But we also want to make sure that there's nothing shady going on. And we know there is because it's the record business. There's always shady stuff going on, but it's like, you got to make sure that it's solid, that there's substance there. And it's like, it's like when you catch somebody on, uh, on Instagram or Facebook and they got like 10,000 followers, but like every time they post a photo, they get like 10 likes and you're like, uh, uh, right. Like there's, there's something wrong here. Right. Um, so it's a matter of just, just, just keeping it and make sure everything's solid. Do you ever, I know you don't, you know, nobody wants to offend anybody or criticize anybody. H- have you ever, has there ever been an artist that you could counsel like a younger artist that you've been able to counsel because of your years of experience in, in this business? Um, is there anybody that you've ever been able to kind of take and say, look, you know, try it this way, or here, here's what we've seen. Any type of advice that you give younger artists? Um, I want to, I want to say that's one of the reasons that we have some of the conversations and tackle some of the topics that we, um, that we, you know, that we have on the show, because I think there's a little issue with the current younger generation, you know, feeling like they're too big to tech talking is like the Jamaican, you know, term, you can't too big for tech talking, you know, it's like, you know, you got to be able to listen um, to uh, somebody who's been there or maybe who has, you know, a different perspective and take that in. But people aren't always, um, you know, willing to do that. And I think that that's one of the things that's an opportunity um, for the industry right now is because there's not that grooming process anymore. The A&R process isn't there. So the maturation process of artists happened totally in the public's eye. You know, like you're, you, if you got a hit song when you're young, like let's say Alkaline, for example, um, you know, whether it's a gimmick thing or, or whether, you know, it's, it's dope and you're super talented and you get on, um, you know, from that moment, you're just in the public's eye. And a lot of people at that point, you know, they're, they're not listening any, to anybody anymore. They're just, they're doing what they're doing and everything is playing out on social media um, in front of, of everybody we, for us to all see it. So um, I think that's one of the approaches of Reggae Lover Podcast is, you know, we're putting this information out there. and. If you listen to it, you know, hopefully you can take some of it to heart. Hopefully you can learn something from it um, and take something and implement it, you know, for your career. So it's not that it's a I'm going to coach you on how to be an artist 
um, that's not what the podcast is about. But like you said, you know, we're covering, trying to cover all bases. And that's definitely something that's, um, I think is needed. Um, I don't know if <laughs> you have a different <laughs> take on that. No, no. Yeah. I mean, me personally, I haven't, it, when it comes to reggae artists, I haven't had the opportunity to speak to a lot of them. Um, you know, being in New York, I, I, I sp- I've spoken to a lot of different types of artists, but definitely not reggae artists in particular, but, um, there's a glimmer of hope. You know, I, I like what, um, the Jamaica music conference is doing in terms of their organization and, and bringing, you know, people who, are in places, uh, the, the, the gatekeepers, so to speak together to speak about the current issues. And, you know, we spoke to, you know, one of the main organizer, but then we also spoke to, um, you know, Diego from Pandora. He mentioned that GMC also takes their, you know, conference on the road for these sub conferences. So organizations like that, where it's like, you know, younger artists or even older artists might benefit from it and not even know, you know, I I think that's where it starts. You know, we're one component of it when it comes to disseminating some things within the culture and what we've come across. Another part of it would be stuff like the JMC where it's like, you know, industry heads, artists, producers, all types of people in the industry can get together and, you know, formulate plans and, and, and come together, you know, that's one part of it as well. So I, I find, you know, those things to be glimmers of hope. Um, but there definitely is a, a generational gap, you know, there are things that were passed down to us that are not necessarily getting passed down to next generation because, you know, believe it or not, I've known a lot of executives in the reggae industry that are very knowledgeable about, you know, everything going on in the music business. You know, they've even gone in between genres and have been successful with artists outside of reggae music. It's just that the younger artists need to really reach out and start listening and and understand they might need a mentor for this. Yeah. And I want to say, I think that the, the reggae artists, you know, most of, a lot of the roots artists and stuff like that, I think they're in a good place where... Yeah. You know, they kind of have guidance around them and, you know, they seem to be implementing things that maybe were passed down um, or learning from others' experiences who came before them. Whereas, you know, some of the quote unquote dancehall artists, that doesn't seem to be the case, you know, so it's very interesting. (laughs) Have either of you ever thought about getting into that yourself, getting into whether it's artist development, artist management, with everything that you've done, with all the knowledge that you have, have you ever thought about doing that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we've discussed everything under the sun at this point. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I probably should have figured that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we have. I mean, um, definitely hasn't manifested in that um, particular way um, thus far, you know, but we've always had artists around us from highlander days you know where we would work with wherever we were you know we're in atlanta we have the community of you know local artists that we would work with and you know i'm saying try to give them advisement you know provide resources if we can and of course you know play their music you know get them um get their dub plates you know get other sounds to cut them on dub plate and things of that nature um, but, you know, I think it's really up to it's really up to the artist to, you know, kind of like latch on to that type of uh, 
um, situation and, and use that to springboard off of. And um, so I think that's what I want to kind of see more of, you know, happening. And, and um, it's definitely not a, it's not an easy thing. So <laughs> it's not no. an easy thing at all. <laughs> no, it's a thankless job and uh, there, there's better ways to, to make money. <laughs> so <laughs> <Absolutely>. like, <laughs> Uh, another episode I wanted to ask you both about is spirituality and reggae. And this, this is close to my heart because my favorite thing about reggae lyrically would be the spiritual aspect and the conscious aspect of reggae. And it's something that, you know, it doesn't all have to be spiritual. It doesn't all have to be conscious, but I'm missing a lot of the spiritual and uh, spirituality and consciousness that reggae has traditionally been about and I'm seeing more pop, more songs about weed. People are concerned about the direction reggae is going in lyrically. So let's, let's talk about your episode of, of spirituality on reggae and, and what, what made you, what made you feel that was an important thing to talk about? Um, for me, same reason that you just gave, like literally for me, you know, I feel like reggae saves lives. Um, I think it, you know, I credit it with saving my life in, you know, in certain ways, um, keeping me on the right, on the straight and narrow, <laughs> you know, on the right path through the inspiration um, in the song lyrics. And so I see it as being a very powerful way still to, to help, especially youth, you know, who are the ones that need it, especially in these times in this world, you know, with you know, when you flip on the radio or the TV now, I mean, the things that these uh, kids are consuming, it's nothing like when we grew up. It's like full on, you know, prog negative programming um, on all the channels. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's an onslaught. And I think that if somebody is there to present you with, you know, just some simple ideas that you can just get just from sim a simple reggae song, it could be one song, one artist that can completely like, you know, give you an anchor. You know what I'm saying? Like completely pull you up, give you a parachute, give you a lifeline to say, you know what? I mean, I've seen um, a brethren, my brethren, DJ Passport, who, you know, had this conversation with a, with a youth one night at one of our events, you know, um, and, the, you know, the guy was just trying, he was trying to smoke weed. He's trying to get high. He said he was, you know, he called himself a rapper. And, you know, he had like pulled a dude aside and had like this one-on-one -on -one with him. And he was like, why don't, you know, have you ever thought about writing, um, you know, a song where you're talking to God, you know, in, in the lyrics? And, the, you know, the guy was like, he was like, nah. And he was like, you know, well, just try it. And, you know, he was like, giving them some reggae, you know, to kind of like listen to. And I, and that's the first time it really hit me how much of a thing that is in reggae, whereas it doesn't exist in any other music, you know, outside of maybe gospel <laughs> music. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just something that's super powerful. It go, they go, it goes hand in hand. Everybody in Jamaica, whether you're Rasta or not, you know, they're, you know, you know, they're saying, you know, John, no, you know, Celestia, I know, you know, and it's just like, just because of that synergy between secular and spiritual, that just is a constant thing. It's, it's very, very, very unique. Um, and it's very powerful.
Yeah, man. Um, for me, so um, I guess reggae helped me separate religion from spirituality. You know, um, because so my journey is this, and I, I'll get a little bit of personal. You know, I grew up, you know, Catholic. My my mom was Catholic, and I was an altar boy and everything. And when I started uh, listening to reggae music, you know, there's obviously some, um, you know, spirituality in there referring to some Christian beliefs and ideology. And, you know, once I got older, I separated myself from religion, right? And I started getting more into philosophy. I even, you know, practiced Buddhism for a while. But here's the thing. What reggae music helped me with was actually life philosophy. You know, we can call it spirituality. But, you know, even till this day, even though I'm not a religious person or I'm not even that much of a spiritual person, I can still listen to certain songs and connect with the universe, you know, and that's unique. You know, I can't say that about, you know, a gospel record. I can't say that about a lot of different records that associate themselves with spirituality outside of reggae. Like reggae, I have no qualms about listening to it listening to these messages sometimes it's a psalm sometimes it's uh you know a philosophical saying and i know that that's adding to my life you know it's not something that felt feels corrupted you know at least for most artists some some artists you know you know i'm not going to say any names but you know they make certain songs because they need to fulfill a certain you know, part of segment of their audience that likes that stuff. But what I'm talking about are the messages to where, you know, like something like a, you know, roll call when the roll is calling yonder, you know, I got to be there. Like it's dealing with concepts of, you know, after here, what, what, what happens, you know, it's making me think about certain things. So that's very important to me, regardless of, what religion you follow, you know, what spiritual practices you follow. It's something to me that's universal, you know, because a lot of people, when they talk about Bob, they talk about the universality. He's speaking about philosophical things that every human being can relate to. So that's very important. And so, and it should be, you know, it should stay very valuable in this culture. Yeah, that's beautiful. And um, also like, to me, uh, Bob Marley, you talk about Bob, like with, with what, like every word he spoke was a, was a, was philosophical poetry. I'll tell, I'll tell you, to me, Bob Marley is the greatest songwriter of all time. And I'll tell that to Bob Dylan, to his face, like Bob Marley, <laughs> like be, because and, and let, let's be real now. Like you hear all the Bob from, from the early whalers up through the last thing Bob was ever working on. It's like, there's no bad song in there. There's no throwaway song. There's no filler song in there. Uh, that's that's just who he was. I love the way you talk about it being philosophy, whether it's you're into the spiritual aspect or not. Uh, Agard, I, I I love the way you talked about that. Aside from the podcast, what's the rest of 2021 look like for each of you? What do you want to be doing going forward outside of the podcast? What are you looking at doing? What are your future plans in this business? Well, I would say very broadly, um, what we realized, and I guess we stumbled into, is the fact that we are, um, I guess the podcast, what we do, it's kind of like also for posterity in a sense. It's, it's for the culture. Like somebody could look back on it and say, okay, this is what was happening back then. Um, and I say that to say we want to try to reach out of that box and, and do other things to spread the culture. 
Um, I'm speaking very broadly because, you know, that's the foundation of why we do this. So, you know, we have ideas in the works as to, you know, what that means. And I don't know if Khalil wants to talk about that or not, but, you know, we want to disseminate this culture more. And what we noticed is a lot of the documenting of it, um, although there's a lot of documentation on people like Bob, you know, and people of that era, you know, when it comes to the errors, errors following Bob and the whalers, and there's not a lot of that going on. You know, I mean, we have sound tapes, we have videos of dances and, you know, things like that. You know, you definitely have concerts. However, like you said, we speak about a lot of broad topics. We want to broadly disseminate this culture, you know, and that means more than just music. It's kind of like hip hop, right? You know, hip hop's more than just an MC. You know, you have the DJ, you have the dancers, you have the a broad culture. You know, I was watching a documentary and, uh, you know, they said, you know, Mary J. Blige may be a singer, but she's hip hop, you know, so she's not rhyming, you know, so we want to disseminate reggae culture broadly. And that, I think that's a goal. That's a personal goal for me, you know, and that can mean so many different things. So I, I choose to just say that in that way. Yeah, right on. So, you know, um, one of my current projects is is my first book, which going to be, you know, duh, it's, it's going to be on reggae. It's <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be, you know, nonfiction. And um, it's a part of adding to the um, existing body of documentation that exists um, on the culture. Uh, you know, he mentioned hip hop, very celebrated numerous documentaries, you know, literary pieces and things like that. You know, it's in the schools, it's in the college curriculums, you know, they teach Jay-Z, they teach Tupac and stuff like that at universities. You know, that's what I want to see for for our music, which is the predecessor to hip hop. And you know what I'm saying? As we were talking about before, has been so globally influential and, you know, it's been around for so much longer. Um, so I think that that's just that's a part of our work is just filling in some of those gaps right now um and we can't do it alone but we definitely want to inspire others to you know come forth and kind of you know fight the good fight <laughs> you know what i'm saying so big up to all the reggae soldiers you know what i'm saying new and new and old young and old <laughs> you know what i mean that's what that's what um the future one of the things the future holds and yeah, we just want to continue, you know, my goal is not to deprive anybody um, of this art form. So I keep pushing it. That's uh, you got to tell me when the book's going to be out. Cause I'm going to be the first person to buy it. So uh, <laughs> definitely l- let me know. It's been great talking to both of you. I- I've kept you on here a long time. Um, I really appreciate your podcast. I appreciate what you do. If, if someone's never heard reggae lover podcast, and, and I'm hoping we get a whole bunch of people who haven't, who now do from listening to this. But if they were going to ask you, hey, what's, what's one episode I should start with? Like, like going through your back catalog of episodes that go back oh, six years now, what should I start with? Like other than just the most recent thing, like what's a good primer to get me into what you do? 
what what episode would you would you point them towards? Um, for me, it depends. I'm the type of person who you know I, I've done like a lot of um, you know sales and things you know in my other life. So I would you know ask that person like, how do you want to feel? You know, like where where do you want to <laughs> Do you want to hear? Do you want to hear some tunes? Um, do you want to? Do you want to laugh? Do you want to learn? Do you want your mind blown? You know, you want to laugh. Um, you want to learn some things that you you know you didn't know. You know, so so it really depends. Because to your point, we've done so much. Um, I don't really value any one over the other. I think that um, some people care more about discovering new music. If that's you. Um, listen to our interview with Leela I.K., which was done, um, boy, when she had just dropped the single that, you know, kind of like bolsters her debut EP. And, you know, saying she's like way bigger of an artist now. But at that time, I think that was just like a special moment where we were able to have an in-depth with her. You know, um, if you're into um, Bob and um the whalers you know and and roots reggae um listen to the interview with aston barrett jr um if you love the dj culture sound system culture dub plates sound clashing um listen to you know an intro to sound clash culture um episode um and we're about to drop another episode uh in the near future uh maybe out you know by the time this is out <laughs> where we, you know, we talk to uh, some people that are like instrumental in, in the sound clash and, and sound system culture. And then, of course, if you just want to hear some good music, you know, if you're in Spotify or one of those, flip it and start from the beginning. Um, because the first 124 episodes are all mixes of reggae music and you can really take a tour of what there is to offer. Um, when it comes to good quality, clean dancehall, reggae music, lovers rock culture, all of it. My mine will be a lot more simple. Uh, I'm I'm always looking for the the lazy you know solution. So for me, I'll just say if somebody's interested in reggae music, and you know maybe is new to reggae music, just because of the times, I'd want them to listen to, you know our our. Uh, debate about not even debate uh, the top revolutionary songs you mm. know uh, because you know w where we're at right now you know i think reggae really does speak to a lot of it because it's nothing new and you know um yeah a lot of those songs has helped me through you know this 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 year and a quarter process <laughs> that mm. we've been going through so i'll just say you know that show but you know there's something for everyone you know, and if somebody like Khalil said wants to hear the music, you know, go back to episode one and go through and that's an education in itself. Yeah. Your podcast is available everywhere, everywhere that you would normally get a podcast. You can hear it. Um, and to learn more about you, they can go to reggaelover.com. And uh, it's been an absolute honor and a pleasure for me to speak with you. And I, I feel like um, I feel like I, I could talk to you all night. We could just get talking to reggae. But. I'm sure you have other things to do. So I just want to thank you for doing this. And um, is there anything else you want to promote before we, before we step away? Anything else you want to tell people about? 
Um, I tell people, yeah, visit reggaelover.com and just going back, my, this is my part, part three answer to the first, that last question that you asked is, you know, the, hit the search bar there. And if there's an artist or a concept, you know, if you, you hear me say dub plate and you don't know what that is, type that in the search. Um, you know, that's just a, a good way to, to find an episode that speaks to that. Um, and uh, yeah, follow us on, on all the platforms that you listen to. And if you want to, um, you know, leave a review or send a message and get in touch, you know, we'd like to interact as well. So definitely thank you for having us on the show. My pleasure. Jay, thank you all so very much. I hope we can, we can talk again soon and don't be strangers. I, I'm going to keep an eye on everything you do. Keep it up. Thank you. Give thanks. All right. Give thanks. Right. One love. All right. Bless up. All right. Want to know more about Street Level Uprising? Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Did you know that you could get our dub EP absolutely free? Just go to streetleveluprising.com slash seven. That's the number seven. This EP is not available anywhere else. You won't hear it on Spotify. You won't be able to buy it on CD at one of our shows. This EP is just to thank you for your support and features dub versions of seven Street Level Uprising tunes. Check us out on Spotify or Apple Music to hear all three of our studio albums. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Talkin' Reggae. I hope you've enjoyed it, and we'll talk again soon.